The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Know the Score. My name is Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Ball. What's Yo, going what's on, Tyler? On? What's going on? Uh, got a lot to cover today. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the rare times we're going to break our show up into two parts. Uh, we're still tracking down the uh, the NFL with a division uh, mini preview. Um, we kind of just going to give you give you our thoughts and opinions on each of the divisions before uh, kickoff in a few weeks. Uh just to let you know that you can find us on Twitter uh, at, uh, first of all, you can find Don at Don DeLaRente, and you can find myself at T-A-B-A-L-L number one. also want to send a shout out to our fellow co-host, uh, Jesse at That's So Jesse on Twitter, and of course, Nebias Wilborn, our resident, our resident journalist at nwilborn19. Nebias is representing for us, uh, you know, in spirit at the National Association of Black Journalists National Convention in New Orleans, also pulling off double duty as he covers the Atlanta Braves this season for the Sporting News. Uh, just remember that you can listen to us and find us here on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and you can follow us at our Twitter at KTSPOD. Okay, Don, man, we're going to break down the AFC South first. This is the preview portion of the show. Uh, AFC South looks kind of interesting, man, um, because you've got the Houston Texans that did a complete overhaul, uh, in particular the quarterback position. Um, they actually uh, got rid of Brock Eisweiler and now have uh, the incumbent, who is uh, Tom Savage, but they get, they traded up to draft. Clemson's uh, quarterback, Deshaun Watson, who just came off at, uh, two appearances in the national championship game, winning one. Uh, what do you, you think about the Houston Texans? Houston Texans are a very interesting team because they have this fantastic defense, which is usually in the top three as far as points allowed and, um, you know, scoring as far as scoring points on defense. So they're a team that basically is for like the past two seasons has been like a quarterback away and they've been trying to figure out who that particular quarterback is going to be. Um, it looks like the experience, the limited more experience that Tom Savage has is probably going to give him the edge in the battle just because, you know, he's got a season under his belt of being the backup quarterback. Um, Deandre Hopkins seems to really like Tom Savage. So that's also going to be another feather in his cap in this quarterback, um, competition. But, um, you know, Deshaun Watson for the preseason game they played against the Panthers the other night. I mean, he looked really good. He, you know, used his legs when he had to, made some really good throws, some tough throws, stayed in the pocket more than uh, I think most people expected him to. So, you know, uh, right now they have um, Will Fuller. He's got an injury, a broken collarbone, so he's going to maybe miss the first game or two recovering, and that may kind of stifle them a little bit with only having one you know, true receiving option out there in Hopkins uh, for the first couple of weeks. But 
I think that Houston right now has a leg up on this division just because their defense is just such a beast. And if J.J. Watt uh, comes back from this back injury at close to what he was a couple of years ago, and now that Clowney has had that whole season where he was, you know, the, the main, you know, pass rushing guy, and he showed that he can stay healthy for a season, and what he's learned um, based off of last season, I mean, sky's the limit for that defense. Uh, can't, uh, we know we mentioned uh, Will Fuller, but he's also got another young receiver, uh, Braxton Miller, who has, um, you know, he's also had the issues with uh, with injuries. And, of course, you know, Miller is a former college quarterback, so he's still going through that adjustment phase to being a wide receiver. Uh, you know, it's only a second year, and it's interesting that, you know, he's another guy from Ohio State who is making that transition, as you see, uh, Terrell Pryor is doing pretty well, and he's already been, he's already worked his way out to being a number one threat for your team, the Redskins. Miller is trying to do the same thing. Uh, but, you know, he dealt with injuries last year, and that kind of stymied his growth. But we need to uh, – he needs to, you know, come up even bigger now, especially with Fuller out with, uh, with his collarbone injury. Uh, my concern with uh, with Houston has always been uh, finding the answer at running back. Uh, you know, it's always been a question. I mean, they've always had a mainstay with um, with uh, Arian Foster, but however, um, you know, Foster has been pretty up and down his entire career as far as uh, as far as injury. So. You know, no consistent real backfield. You know, you had Alfred Blue with there back there. They tried a couple of others, but it's just interesting to see what they do with the, with running the football because you know once they run the football, uh, they'll be able to uh, go into the play action game and get some deep balls down to Hopkins and maybe to Miller as well, who's also who also can get get down the field, but. Um, as long as they spot you 20, 24 points, they, they've got the best shot of winning 10 games in this division. Uh, moving forward, we're going to transition to likely the next, uh, the next team in that, in that order. Uh, I'm going with the – I'm going against uh, conventional wisdom, and I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, just because I still believe in Andrew Luck some way, some shape, or form, but he's – reaching the point where he's been battered by his offensive line once too often. Um, and, and he, and Indianapolis still fails to upgrade their, their line. Uh, they just feel like they're just going to depend on Drew getting the ball out. I mean, uh, Andrew Luck getting the ball out and getting it to their, their very talented core of wide receivers. But I mean, are they going to get into more shootouts and, even so, that's going to expose luck even more to opposing pass rushes. Um, what, what about the Colts? I think that the Colts are kind of in trouble, man, because um, Andrew Luck is proving to be a slow healer as he had this soldier, shoulder surgery in January, and uh, he still hasn't thrown football. <laughs> And, you know, the season is like a month away. So, you know, 
the quarterback, you know, probably needs the most reps out of everybody just for timing, you know, with the different receivers, the different audibles, different looks, line shifts. I mean, for your your quarterback to miss this much, he's missed all the OTAs, all the offseason stuff. Now he's missed the first two, you know, weeks of training camp and preseason games. That's going to be a lot for them to overcome. I mean, this isn't like a defensive end or a running back or a receiver where, you know, those guys sit out most camps for most teams and, you know, they can come in and not not miss a beat. I don't think that's going to necessarily be the case with quarterback. Um, You know, people point to, well, Tom Brady never plays in the preseason, but he does, you know, make all the throws in practice and, and does all the practices. So, you know, the timing and the rhythm – you know, gets worked out there. Um, I think that this may be a year where Frank Gore may be the most important player on their team. Um, if they can establish a, a running game and maybe rely more on their running game and have Andrew Luck take less chances as far as exposing him to drop back and leaving him in the shotgun where, you know, that division who has pretty good defensive ends and linebackers can just tee off on them. I think that might be kind of the philosophical change that the Colts make this year as they try not to make as many games shootouts just so they don't have to expose luck to, you know, big hits that could, you know, re-injure that shoulder and you know, take them out for the season. And if he misses the season, then, you know, they're going to be picking in the top one, two or three. All right. Um, I I am kind of at the at a pause when I come to thinking about the the last two teams in the division, the Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, for for the, for similar reasons. Actually, I think both teams have a ton of talent up and down their roster, but they've got weakness in certain positions where you can't have in order to be better than mediocre like in between six and 10, seven and nine and eight and eight. Uh, I don't see the Titans getting to getting there, getting to eight and eight. Uh, They still, they have a defensive overhaul. Uh, I really, really like us former USC corner, Dory Jackson, who's going to start right away. Uh, Bryce McCain, who's at, who's pretty talented, but, uh, that's going to be a major issue at, at corner. And Tennessee has traditionally been a very, very solid uh, – has had a very, very solid defensive backfield until now. So um, it's, a, it's pretty much an open competition, and we really don't know who's going to hold those four or five spots down. Um, Tennessee also has issues with, uh, Mar- with Marcus Mariota. Uh, you know, broke his leg last year. Still not a hundred percent, but again, injury is a question because he has not played a full sixteen game slate in either one of his two any one of his two seasons. We know that he's good. We know that he's capable, but can he remain healthy? And of course, that's a obvious question on the offensive line. Uh, we got to watch out for Corey Davis, who's their new right receiver. Uh, you know, he's 6'3", very explosive. Um, they also picked up Eric Decker um, from the Jets, who gladly was able to get his get his release from from a team that's probably going to be competing for the first-round pick of the draft next year. So uh, he's going to have uh, – going to have some opportunities, but, you know, will, will that translate into wins, especially against 
uh, a pretty rough schedule? I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Titans? Titans. Um, the Titans are the scariest team in this division because if they want to just line up and say, here we come, they can line up and say, here we come. I don't think any other team in this division has the ability to run the football in obvious situations like this team can. Um, DeMarco Murray had a resurgence in Tennessee uh, last year. He was one of the leaders in touchdowns and yards. Um, they also had Henry, who was more of a spot player from Alabama in, as in his rookie year, but he'll probably be a much more bigger dose of the offense. Uh, their defense, their front seven is a beast. Um, they're just as good as Houston in the front seven, where Houston has the advantages. Houston has the better secondary. And so, Tennessee tried to address that in their offseason. Um, they've come up with a couple more playmakers. They added Eric Decker uh, from the Jets. So, you know, a veteran receiver to help out Corey Davis and to help the progression of Marcus Mariota. Um, I think that the health of Mariota will be okay. I, you know, he's had some kind of freak injuries. You know, he's had guys roll up into him and, and hurt him. Um, you know, it hasn't been because he took just this clean shot and didn't get up. You know, he's had guys around his feet and, and those type of things. So um, I don't really think that uh, his health will be that big of a concern for them if they can, you know, run the football. Like, just like the uh, Colts, you know, your best friend for your quarterback is, is to run the football. And with those two good running backs, um, you know, they can limit the amount of times Mariota throws. They can make him you know, a 25 attempt passer. And if he's, you know, 18 for 25 with a good average per completion, you know, that's all they really need to be successful. Um, if their secondary can kind of keep people from going over the top, I, I think that the Titans will be one of the, you know, surprise wild card contenders or in the hunt till the last couple of weekends. Um, as far as Jacksonville goes, um, it's basically Blake Bortles will bust. Um, they're really stout on defense. They've got a slew of running backs. They add Fournette to the collection they already had. They've got two great capable receivers on the outside. Um, tight end is pretty decent. So um, it's just going to be if Blake Bortles truly understands the art of quarterbacking. I mean, um, Reggie Wayne kind of broke down his play from their preseason game where, you know, he said, hey, the particular routes, they were running two out cuts on the outside. And uh, he said, you know, as soon as Blake Bortles saw that the uh, cornerbacks for New England were playing press coverage, he should have, A, changed into a different play or B not thrown the ball to the outside, which he did, which, you know, almost got picked off. So, you know, he's saying that, you know, that's kind of the things that are holding Blake Bortles back is that he doesn't seem to understand what they're doing versus the concepts that the defense are doing and how to make those split second decisions or understand where the ball needs to go. Once the defense shows him how they're going to play their particular offense. So, um, you know, this is his make or break season. If he improves and, and doesn't, throw bad interceptions and, and really, you know, finishes like he did two years ago when we all thought he was ready to take the next step into last year, uh, Jacksonville will surprise a lot of teams because when they get in the red zone this year, I don't think they're going to come away with a lot of field goals with uh, Leonard Fournette being able to, you know, carry guys into the end zone from two or three yards out. So, um, Not only is it Blake Bortles a bust, but you better hope that Leonard Fournette comes through as well. Uh a lot of hype around this guy. Uh, the bull, he's a he's your classic bruiser running back in the mold of a a, a Earl Campbell slash Ironhead Hayward 
uh, slash, uh, you know, just one of those straight ahead type of guys. Um, you know, even Jamal, even a little bit of Jamal Anderson with with how how wide he is. He's got to give him opportunities and, and hope he doesn't get hurt. Um, you know, I think that they need depth with this type of running back. You're going to need depth at the position because he's a typical guy that can, that will probably have to get, um, 300 carries just to keep, um, just to keep Bortles from throwing football games away. Uh, you know, similar to Mariota, uh, you want Bortles to, you want Bortles to throw maybe 25 to 30 times at max, uh, similar to former Cowboys QB, uh, Tony Romo. Um, I think that, uh, you got questions on the offensive line. Uh, Brandon Albert, which is becoming the hustling backwards story of the month. Uh, he wanted the new contract, went to the person that you don't demand a new contract from in Tom Coughlin. Coughlin said, no way. He, you, you're going to stick to your contract. Albert says he, he's going to retire, filed his paperwork, then realized that he is going to have to pay back some of his prorated salary bonus. So he rescinded his retirement papers and then Jacksonville cuts him so he can find his way onto a new team. So now you got to replace him. And then you got rookie uh, from Alabama, Cam Robinson, who's one of the best offensive linemen in the country. Uh, eventually, uh, Robinson is going to be the new left tackle to replace Albert. Um, he could, you're hoping that he becomes the next mainstay for for eight to ten years at that position um, since you drafted drafted him that highly, um, but you know that's going to be a key. The key to that team, almost as much as Borders will be, Bortles will be the offensive line and how they perform. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about their defense. Um, the one thing that affected them was sudden change, and that's Bortles throwing too many interceptions. So they don't expect to win more than six games. Um, I'm going to I'm going to play conservative and put them at six and ten. Uh, going up the ladder, I'm going to put Tennessee also at six and ten. Let them fight it out in the tiebreaker. Uh, the Colts, I say they get to eight and eight, and I will give the Houston Texas the division at nine and seven. Uh any predictions for, for your end for this division? Uh do you know who they're matched up against outside of their division? Uh outside division. Well that's why I did the AFC East first because they will have the AFC South and the NFC uh the NFC North. Okay. So that's Detroit, Chicago, Green Bay and Minnesota. Hmm. Yeah, I can see the Texans probably coming in at maybe like ten and six. Um, their defense, uh, you know, wins a game uh, or two, helps them out in the season. Uh, the Colts, yeah, eight and eight sounds about right for them. Um, that's kind of kind of where they've been the last couple of years. Eight and eight, nine and seven. I think Jacksonville is going to probably be about six and ten. And the Titans are the one team I don't really have a read on. I, I mean, they could be right there with um, Tennessee. I mean, excuse me, they could be right there with uh, Houston, uh, you know, maybe tied up in the last day. Um, or they could be down there with Jacksonville. So they're, they're kind of my wild card team. I don't know. 
I, I just don't have a read on, on their on on what they're gonna do. So yeah, it's gonna be um yeah, we're looking at at the for example, uh the Texans is just kinda interesting to me. Um yeah, they they can they start off um they actually opened the division to start off with. Then they got the then they've got uh actually they start off with three home games. Uh Titans, Chiefs, and Browns at Seattle, home against uh, the Colts, at Rams, home Cardinals, at Baltimore, at Titans, home 49ers, at Jacksonville, uh, Steelers at home, and then end of season at the Colts. So that's pretty, that's not bad. I think I think something that we've uh, kind of we didn't touch on as far as Houston goes is the retirement of Vince Woolfork and just kind of um, what that's going to do uh, to their ability to stop the run. That's really been their biggest um, asset on defense the past few years since Vince uh, moved over from the Patriots and lined up beside um, J.J. Watt and Clowney is that, you know, he basically was the one man run stopper. And then those guys could just, you know, pin back and just, you know, try to meet the quarterback. So with events retiring and it uh, looks like he's going into the, uh, you know, competitive, competitive barbecue uh, world of things. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who they can get to replace him. And uh, if they do a rotation or if one guy, you know, steps up to be the man in camp and, uh, you know, how much drop off against the run well, they're going to have. It's all about rookie DJ reader um, who they, who they drafted. Um, I mean, he's, I mean, before, well, they drafted him and now he's, uh, he's got a, you know, he's played pretty well. Um, you know, last year was his rookie season. He finished with seven, um, uh, finished with, in seven games. He finished with 22 tackles on a sack, pretty much, uh, backing up Wilford and, uh, you know, he's, they, they consider him has, very athletic. He's great enough to line up. He can actually line up at the at the defensive end side opposite of Watt, and and he showed that he could get it to the backfield. Uh, they aren't concerned really. Uh, they believe that that this is his chance to uh, to dominate. So uh, we're gonna keep an eye on DJ Reader as the season progresses. Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score on the CSPN. We want to remind you that via our website at cspn.us, you can support us by going to, uh, by doing your shopping at amazon.com. What you do is you go to our website at cspn.us and you click on the keep our podcast free link at the website and you can do all your shopping at several vendors, but mainly amazon.com. And for every click and purchase through Amazon, Made through our link, our keep our podcast free link. You uh, you help us out by a portion of your payment going to the CSPN, and that allows us to keep the podcast free and available at no cost to you. So do that. We've got a network of ten or eleven shows. I mean, we got so many shows adding on that I can't keep count. Uh, you know, we got our friends at Crown and Collars, the Good and Terrible Show. Uh, uh, you know, Don DeLorente, you actually can hear him on uh, the Rasslecast. We got um, Classic Team Up. We got uh, 
We got Baker Bone and Rome show, the bad, well, also known as the bad advice. Um, and we got, uh, we even got our own football specialty show, the gridiron gals, with Chelsea Wright and the NFL chick, uh, don't forget to support our all of our shows and as you know as well as us right here on the CSPN. Don, we're going to break down the uh, the AFC North. Uh, pretty interesting division, of course. It's pitch, it's always been Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, uh, you know, at the forefront. Um, you know, at first, I guess we can break down the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, another year, another uh, another run for the Pittsburgh offense. Uh, they pick up finally Martavis Bryant if he can uh, stay off the weed. To quote a prominent uh, sport, uh, a prominent sports journalist, um, Martavis Bryant is back, dynamic, uh, deep threat receiver that will give Ben Roethlisberger some help. Uh, and of course, we have. Eventually, we'll have Le'Veon Bell, who's arguably the best running back in the NFL, who hurts you two ways by either running the football to daylight or uh, catching passes out of the backfield, who's he's a very difficult cover. Um, you know, you got those two main weapons, and then, of course, you got uh, you got Antonio uh, Antonio Brown. I mean, Antonio Brown, just you know, easily a top five receivers so many people say he's he is the best but uh as far as Pittsburgh goes um they have to get better defensively at all phases uh there are a lot there were a lot of times where uh New England exposed them for uh for what they are particularly up the middle um it's it's just not sure what they can do what they've done in the offseason to say that they can keep up with the Patriots. And yes, that is in correction. That is Antonio Brown, the sensational wide receiver. Um, Pittsburgh is, is just an enigma to me because they can win. They can win 10 or 11 games every year. But when it comes to the Patriots, there are a lot of problems. Uh, thoughts on the Steelers. I think that this year, if uh, Antonio Bryant can, can stay on the field, and with him on the outside, Antonio Brown on the other side, I think the guy who's going to be the real killer was the rookie last year. Uh, was the, uh, Eli, um, I can't remember what his last name is. But, yeah, he is their slot receiver. Um, I think he's going to be the guy who's going to benefit the most if uh, Bryant can stay on the field and, and play most of the games this season just because uh, those two outside receivers basically, you know, require that you play your two safeties back and, you know, help over the top. And that's only going to allow your tight end, your slot receiver, and your running back to be even more dangerous than they already are. So everything for the Steelers, because I my father's a Steeler fan, my cousin's a Steeler fan, everything comes down to their secondary. Have they improved their secondary enough that they can go toe-to-toe with a really good passing offense. Um, this isn't the Blitzburg zone blitz confuse you type team that, you know, we came to know and love that could kind of have a weak secondary, but they played so many games in their front seven and having Troy Palmalu as kind of like an extra linebacker that they could cover up 
the weakness in the secondary because they could create so much pressure. Um, that hasn't really been the case with Keith, Keith Butler running the defense. They've been kind of more of a selective type blitzing team where they try to only, you know, use the blitzing style to, uh, when you're at a disadvantage. So it exposes the lack of talent that they have in their secondary. Um I think if I'm a Steelers fan, I'd be very afraid that Le'Veon Bell might pull a hamstring in like the first game or the first week of training camp just because, you know, that's usually what happens to running backs when they sit out the preseason and don't do the conditioning within the team framework and kind of quote unquote work out on their own. Those soft tissue injuries seem to happen to them. Uh, far more often uh, when they sit out. So if, if I was a Steelers fan, that would really concern me because if he uh, cannot play for a significant amount of the season, it really hurts their passing game. I think that um, D'Angelo Williams is, is a capable backup. We've seen him um, come in in some spot duties and do a good job. But I think for the overall um, effect of what Pittsburgh wants to do, they need Le'Veon Bell threat in the backfield running the ball to really create the mismatches and the um, just overall problems that their receiving core can cause most teams. I mean, they're, they're one of the deep, actually, uh, that's going to be the main issue in training camp is which receivers are they going to keep? Because I know you mentioned Rogers, but they spent a second round draft pick on, um, on, uh, on Juju Smith-Schuster from USC. Uh, then you got, uh, you have Martavis back. You got Sammy Coates and Darius Haywood Bay. Uh, you know, Haywood Bay is a, you know, is your fifth receiver. Fifth receiver. Um, Kanan Severin, who, uh, you know, he wants a spot too, and he's likely going to be um, the guy on special teams. So, you know, if you keep, if you keep Severin, then that means there are going to be three receivers for two spots, which will be Demarcus Ayers, Kobe Hamilton, and Eli Rogers. And uh, one of those guys is going to go. Uh, you know, Rogers had 48 catches for, for uh, 594 yards, including 13 of those in the post, and uh, added 13 more in the postseason. Uh, you know, and that doesn't even include Justin Hunter, who uh, came over from the Buffalo Bills. So they're going to be loaded. And whoever does not make the pitch, the Steeler roster, that person is those persons or persons are very, very, very talented. They can help some teams elsewhere. So I would pay attention on the waiver slash fantasy wire uh, for all of those receivers in the Pittsburgh training camp. And, and another thing before we move on from Pittsburgh is just how many games are going to be lost to injury from Ben Roethlisberger. That's always kind of their um, Achilles heel in the season is that at some point in the season, Roethlisberger misses anywhere from two to four games. And Pittsburgh's backup quarterback situation has left a lot to be desired in the last four or five years. We do um, not believe in Landry Jones. Right. They've um, actually been hurt in the playoff seating. Uh, by Roethlisberger missing games and, you know, getting losses and to teams that they probably would have beat, like, you know, a couple of times here, just because Landry Jones is not capable of, you know, moving the team uh, down the field. So um, I know that's another thing that Pittsburgh fans kind of here recently have kind of built into their 
to their outlook is just okay. How many games is being gonna miss, and can we win half of them? And you know, if they can kind of, if that's the formula, if he misses four, they can win two. Then you know, they'll they'll be right where they need to be at the end of the season. But um, if he can actually make them through all sixteen uh, this year, uh, man, Pittsburgh might not, not might only lose two or three games. Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's fair considering um, considering how. There, uh, we have to obviously consider where the schedule falls as well, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, going over to the next team, the Baltimore Ravens. What in the world has happened to the Ravens? Um, just a few weeks ago, the Ravens were were literally the talk of the division. Um, this may have been their year to unseat the Steelers as the lead team in this quote-unquote black and blue division. Uh, they had the personnel, they had the experience, they had the talent. Then the injury bug hit. Hard. Really hard. Dennis Pitta, gone for the year. Probably for good this time. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a unfortunate. Um, just the things that's been going on with his hip, man. Um, just such a talented player, but never really got a chance to show it. You know, just because this this hip just won't stay in place for him. And it's 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 awful because that's a position where uh, that's a position where the Ravens have been good at for years, years ahead of ahead of Pittsburgh is at the tight end. I know Heath Miller's been serviceable, but Baltimore, whoever has been Baltimore's tight end has always been better, and they've always had the advantage there, and they are definitely going to miss that. Uh, Jeremy Zuda, traded. Ricky Wagner, gone, free agent. John Urschel, who's created some stir, some some stirs, who's starting left guard, decided to retire amidst the CTE report that we discussed last week. Urschel is a massive loss. Uh, playing a team that likes to run the zone, that runs the zone read at left guard, particularly counters and traps. Urschel being the, uh, you know, kind of, kind of the leader of that line, uh, he's going to be, that's going to be a huge void. Um, I know he gets more coverage because of his, his uh, life after football, which he actually lit, left to pursue his PhD in mathematics at MIT, uh, that was that came across as a shock. Uh, he had uh, he had already made a decision earlier to remain as a uh, football player when he was mulling the uh, effects of CTE and leaving the game early, uh, but this time he decided to do it and. The Ravens are, are in a bit of a bind right now. Uh, they've lost seven players in this offseason due to either injury or retirement, and they're easily the most affected uh, team going into the going into the season. So uh, how do you think the Ravens can actually overcome the uh, attrition that they're facing right now, Don? <laughs> the Ravens are in trouble, man, because they got questions. At every spot on offense, uh, the quarterback has back issues. We don't know if he's gonna, 
couldn't make it through a season because he could sneeze wrong and be out for the year. Um, they've had questions at wide receiver forever, and that's not that hadn't gotten any better. Um, Jeremy Macklin's come over to kind of add some veteran presence, but I mean, he's not a speedster or a game breaker type of receiver at this point in his career. So, you know, there's still going to be question marks there. He's uh, also like injury prone too. Right. Like you said, offensive line has some major holes uh, coming into the season. And then they have a, um, a you know, a, a training camp battle at running back as well. So um, offensively, uh, Baltimore is all over the place. Um, uh, and then, you know, of, of course, they you know, fired their offensive coordinator in the middle of the season last year. So, you know, that's that, you know, trying to get more familiar with the new offense, you know, year and a half in without your starting quarterback being able to take a lot of the preseason and, and training camp snaps. Um, I, I, this may be the year where the Ravens end up in the top five of the draft just because they don't have the talent due to injury. Um, their defense is getting older. I mean, they're still one of the nastiest units they got out there, but they're not going to be able to, you know, hold up with the offense not being able to move the ball and keep them off the field. And I just don't see Baltimore's offense scaring that many people um, this year. Um, I, you know, I, I just think that this may be a year where, you know, Baltimore gets a chance to kind of get themselves, you know, one of the really elite players uh, that will be available out of the draft this year and kind of just, you know, reset themselves. And um, it may be one of these years where they kind of start saying, okay, let's see what our young players can do and identify, you know, their young talent um, at some point this year because I just don't see them being able to generate enough offense to compete. All right, we move next to the hard for me to to say this, the up-and-coming Cleveland Browns. Uh, Cleveland's an interesting, uh, they're an interesting team. Had a great draft, finally. They made the safe picks. Taking Miles Garrett, number one overall from Texas A&M, safe pick. Uh, Trading down to get more picks to boost their roster and this is interesting because last year all 14 of their draft picks played significantly uh, they believe that they're going to um, they, they, there's a serious youth movement and these guys are are actually making dividends um, the Browns defense is borderline special right now uh, they've got a pass rush uh, led by Desmond Bryant, Barkevius Mingo, Jabal Sheard, uh, one of the better secondaries in the game uh, with Joe Hayton, uh, who's probably one of the closest things you can come come to with a uh, as far as mentioning a shutdown corner. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you know being a being a Cowboy fan. I'm not sure if Brandon Wheaton is the answer at quarterback, but they do have a very exciting uh, Terrell Pryor, who is made, who has actually made the tr- transition from quarterback uh, to wide receiver. No, 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 he's not on their team anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They, up, thank you. Tra- they traded Terrell Pryor, and I actually said this earlier. They had Terrell Pryor, but uh, we don't know who Brandon Whedon's going to throw to now that Terrell Pryor is gone. Uh, right. Uh, it's going to probably be more than likely Brock Eisweiler, I think, uh, because they acquired him after he was let go from uh, the 
Texans. So it looks like Osweiler is going to have the inside track with Whedon being the backup and then Deshaun Kaiser, the draft pick from Notre Dame, kind of waiting in the wings. Um, I'm not an Osweiler fan, obviously. I, don't, I, I think he can flat out lose this job to Deshaun Kaiser eventually. But I think this is this is a holdover year, I guess. Um, I I like Miles Garrett. I think he's dominant. Uh, I think that the defense will be will even be uh, will be much more improved. Uh, they still gave up a lot of points, particularly uh, the corner opposite of Hayden. Uh, they got beat, and they and they hardly could stop teams that ran the football to the left side. So they're uh, they've got a ton of potential. But uh, other than Hayden, uh, the secondary is is still a a point of weakness. The Browns, Browns are probably still have to score. yeah, they're probably like another draft away from really being able to get into the eight and eight, uh, you know, on the verge of contention type uh, mm-hmm. level. I, I just think that right now they have too many questions at receiver and right that's going to be tough in this division because even though Pittsburgh secondary is weak, everybody else has a really good secondary in this division. Um, running back position seems to be pretty solid. Um, you know, their offensive line is, is decent. Um, their defense, like you said, though, if Greg Williams can kind of bring that attacking mentality, I, I don't know um, how good their safeties are, but the safeties are a really not, big part. Not good Greg. at all right now. Yeah. They're a very big part of Greg Williams uh, defensive scheme. Um, he likes to bring a lot of, blitzes from the secondary, particularly uh, walking safeties up late, um, you know, in the disguise to kind of, you know, over overload a side to create pressures. So um, if Cleveland can find find the type of guys in, in the safety position that Greg Williams uh, likes to use, then, you know, yeah, their defense could really hold them in, in enough games where if, you know, their qu- quarterbacks can make enough plays and receivers catch enough balls, uh, they could be in the game late and maybe still with a field goal or, you know, defensive stand. But to me, I just think that Cleveland's just one more draft away from, you know, really being able to contend. I think they'll be much improved just because uh, defensively they're going to be tough. They're going to be really yeah. tough. You're going mean, to. They got Jamie Cotton. They're front seven. I honestly think that their front seven can hang with, uh, they've got the talent that can hang with with uh, Houston and uh, and Tennessee, which we, which we uh, talked about earlier. Uh, Jamie Collins, getting Jamie Collins essentially for the cheap is huge for mm-hmm. that defense. Um, he, is the- their, he is their all-star talent. Right. Uh, and uh, also so is Joe Hayden, who's a, who is a, uh, who's a Pro Bowl type corner. But... Uh, they're putting together a defense get that is kind of like the old Baltimore and uh, Steelers defense of the early 2000s where you play them and then, you know, you win or lose, whatever you come out. And then when you play the next two games, your team is still affected from playing against that tough defense. Yeah. Again, physical style, uh, just the just the, the sore, the aches and bruises from playing a team in this division overall. Can uh, can wear you down uh, mentally and physically. Uh, speaking of mentally and physically wearing down, we go to the last team in this division, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, now, ten uh, maybe ten years ago, maybe even fifteen years ago, we picked on the Bengals for being 
mediocrely bad. Uh, five and eleven seasons, three, six and tens, three and thirteens. But now the Bengals have are on a five year run of making the playoffs. Now it really stings because they're not good enough to go any further. Which I don't know is worse: being mediocrely bad and stocking up on good players, or being good enough to make the playoffs, but you're not going to get the uh, top tier talent in the draft because you're going to be picking in the mid to low uh, teens and twenties. Uh, I think coming Bengals- from where Cincinnati Bengals fans were, I think they'll take coming to the playoffs and <laughs> and maybe losing in the first round for five years in a row. I think they'll take that, and I think they're extremely happy with that. Um, of course, they probably you know they want to see their team win in advance and 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 move on. But I mean, from 2011 back through was it like 93 I think it was the last time the Bengals had a good team we can go back even further 91 91 was really bad 91 they were 3 and 91 they were 3 and 13 with Boomer Esiason and James Brooks yeah so I mean going from that far back and then coming as far up to now having five straight years of hey we're a playoff team we're in the mix and you know the playoffs are just as much about who you play and where you play them as far, you know, as anything, you know, I think they've only had one of those games where they were at home. And that was the game a couple of years ago where they uh, just had a total brain lock at the end of the game against Pittsburgh, a game that they had solidly in hand coming down to the last five minutes and it got away from them. Um, they play a lot of games on the road in the playoffs and that's never easy. I don't care if it's a wild card game or a division game or whatever. Um, so I just think that, you know, the circumstances necessarily haven't been the best. They've had injuries to Eifert uh, in the playoffs. He hadn't played in a lot of these playoff games and he's a big part of what they do on offense. Um, when he's healthy, uh, he's, maybe the best tight end in football, especially in the red zone. Uh, he has a net for getting open and, and catching the ball in the end zone. Um, their defense is, is just like every other defense we've talked about in this division, real nasty. They've got the best secondary in this division. Um, their front seven is just as nasty as it's been in the past few years. Uh, Cincinnati's whole thing has always been, can they get enough production out of their running back and who can be their second receiver to draw attention away from A.J. Green. Um, They're still kind of trying to figure that out. Hopefully John Ross comes in and can add, you know, get some attention thrown to him, and then maybe that can free up A.J. Green, help Eifert work the middle, Hawkins a little bit, um, come out of the slot. So, you know, I think Cincinnati's going to be right there in the mix again. They're probably going to make the playoffs, and, you know, for them, it's all about trying to just break through that, you know, get one week. Because, you know, the Bengals are one of those teams, like, if they win a playoff game, they could be real scary because that confidence could could propel them right through to an AFC championship game. It very, it very well could. Um a lot of people are paying attention to Cincinnati because of the running back battle between Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill and Joe Mixon. Of course, Mixon was the uh, Mixon was the player um, that had a domestic violence issue at um, at Oklahoma. He was actually suspended for a year uh, while in school. Um, he eventually was drafted. Uh, bringing to the light the story of the Bengals having uh, guys with 
past issues or personnel problems uh, that could come to mind. Uh, Adam Jones, formerly known as Pac-Man, and of course Fontas Perfect, who were key factors in their la- their playoff loss against Pittsburgh, the one that you just spoke of, where they just mentally imploded. Uh, you know, kind of a, an unfortunate situation there. But uh, I believe that every time you think that it's a make it or break it year for Marvin Lewis, uh, the organization keeps bringing him back. Uh, apparently, you're, you're right. I think it's not only the Cincinnati fans who will take five years in a row in the playoffs. I think the ownership does, too. They're they're extremely conservative, and I believe that that's, um, you know, I don't think that that's hurt them at all, but I think that, you know, making some, some type of personnel decision or indecision dealing with Marvin Lewis could be the reason why that they are in this, this role of being a perennial 10 and six, uh, nine and seven, maybe even an 11 and five team and can't get past the first round. The the Bengals are doing something right because a lot of their assistants under Marvin Lewis, the past four or five years have gone on to get coaching jobs and they've gotten second contracts at those coaching jobs. So there's something within their teaching and whatever they're doing as far as their, you know, the way that they approach uh, developing their players and, 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 and calling games that has, you know, caught the eye of a lot of people around the league. So I think their operation is the best it's ever been as far as, you know, coaching and people producing on the field because of the amount of uh, coordinators and assistant coaches that have gotten swooped up to become head coaches in other organizations. So I think that's a lot. Another thing that may be keeping the front office from kind of moving in a new direction is because of so many of the assistants are being taken away that we kind of need to stabilize and force here as Marvin Lewis to kind of be our solid foundation because, you know, they had Jay Gruden for a few years, then he moved on to be the Redskins coach. They had Zimmer as their defensive coordinator for a few years, and he moved on to be the Vikings coach. They had Hugh Jackson take over for uh, Gruden. Now he moved on to be the coach at uh, Cleveland. So uh, there's something there that they're doing that's getting the attention of people around the league. And, and I just think Marvin Lewis maybe just have that identifying eye of, okay, this guy will work and he's a good coach to have on our team. And it's showing out in the hires that have been coming out of that system. I think that Gruden speaking of, well, not Gruden, but uh, Marvin Lewis would love to have Hugh Jackson right now, because I believe this is a, this is one of those make it or break it years for Andy Dalton. Um, I think that Andy Dalton has been shadowed by some inconsistency. And a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. Uh, Of course, he was sacked 41 times last season, um, second only to Tyrod Taylor, who's a running quarterback. That uh, It's uh, it's interesting to see what the new personnel on Cincinnati's offensive line can do to protect Dalton. Uh, Old tackle Andrew Whitworth is gone. and, of course, you have disappointing first-rounder uh, Cedric uh, Aguibi, who's going to take the left tackle role. And then Jake Fisher, number one overall pick, by the way, uh, he's going to be at the right tackle slot. And we're just not sure of how that line is going to be. And, of course, that affects the running back battle between uh, the three-headed monster of Hill, Mixon, and Giovanni Bernard, who, by the way, speaking of, uh, Vontez uh, Burfick. Burfick actually undercut 
Giovanni Bernard going low on a tackle on the knee that was injured. So, you know, we know the dude is we know the dude has made questionable decisions, but to me, that that might get you cut. You're gonna do that to your own to your own guy. That's yeah, that's Von- inexcusable. Vontez Burford uh, strikes me as one of those guys who, when he doesn't have the helmet on, he's probably very nice, very respectful, very pleasant to deal with. And then all of a sudden, he puts that helmet on and he just loses his mind. And and when he gets in that adrenaline, you know, that adrenaline kicks in, you know, he's just out there to basically hurt whoever has the ball. And, and it doesn't matter if it's his teammate in training camp or if it's uh, Antonio Brown coming across the middle of a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that that is just his mentality when he gets on that football field. When he puts that helmet on, he becomes Darth Vader. You know, you all, and, and when I watch him play, I, I, I tend to, my, the only question I, I tend to ask when I look at him is, what's he on? You know, because, yes, he's a great player, but at the same time, making the poor decisions that he's made over the years, particularly with personal fouls and so, some uh, issues like that, uh, you kind of wonder if he's really meant to be on that on that level of, you know, great play- Should he be mentioned among the great players when he makes makes uh, poor decisions as one, like the ones we've mentioned. Right. Uh, prediction time. Uh, this, this this division actually is difficult to pick because you've got a lot of injury prone top players in this division. You don't really know which one is going to go down, but well, I think we know position, we, we, we can identify the players down. that go down. We just don't know how many games it will be. Yeah. You know, if Ben goes down and misses a game or two, yeah. uh, Pittsburgh will be totally fine. But he can't miss four to five like he did last year. De- death is um, this is the division where death has mattered the most over the years, um, particularly when they they realigned the the AFC. What was the old AFC Central? It's always been the teams who've had the most death, uh, not particularly the most talent that have come on top of the division. So. Um, if you look into that factor, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, I'm going to put Pittsburgh winning the division at uh, a conservative ten and six, Cincinnati nine and seven, uh, Baltimore seven and nine, and Cincinnati six and ten. Oh wow, you're really uh, you're, you've really got a lot of confidence in Baltimore. Um, I'm going Pittsburgh. Like I said, if Ben Roethlisberger plays all the games, they're going to be like 13 and three. If he misses a few games, they'll probably end up 10 and six, 11 and five. Um, I'm, I think that Cincinnati is going to come in second this year. I think they're going to be right around nine and seven, 10 and six, kind of where they were last year. Uh, I think that the team that's going to make the biggest improvement is going to be Cleveland. I think that Cleveland is going to probably find a way to get them six wins this year, uh, just because their defense will keep them in games. So they've got a really good field goal kicker and that, you know, does matter when you play close games. And I think Baltimore is going to just be 5-11 and 11, uh, territory this year. Um, I just don't see it for them. I mean, they're, they're going to struggle so much on offense. Just And, you know, like I said, um, Flacco with his back injury, I mean, you know, he's not getting out of the way of anybody pass rushing. <laughs> and so, you know, if he gets hit and goes down wrong, you know, he could be out again for another 
long stretch of time. And you do have uh, Ryan Mallett, who's throwing, yeah. who loves throwing the ball to the other team lately. Right, and their backup quarterback situation is totally uh, not the best in the in the league right now. So, yeah, I just see Baltimore. Um, I see them having their first really bad season in a long, long, long time. I, I think that's been kind of the the greatest thing about Baltimore is, um, you know, once they became the Ravens and, you know, they finally got over their little eight and eight situation that they were in for four or five years there and finally broke in and made the playoffs. I mean, they've been one of the most consistent teams in the NFL over the last decade. Um, so, I, you know, that's a, it's very hard to maintain that level of consistency in this league. And I just think that now, you know, is there a time where they get to get a chance to rebuild and, and pick high in the draft and, and kind of reset their direction um, as far as their team goes, because their defense is getting older. Um, they've had trouble with wide receivers for the last four or five years. It seems, um, you know, it seems like their running back situation may finally get kind of straightened out this season. Um, but, you know, Asian quarterback with a bad back, uh, bad things are bound to happen for Baltimore this year. Okay, this concludes part one of Know the Score, which is the NFL preview edition. We previewed the AFC North and the AFC South. Don't forget to keep tuning in as we wrap up the AFC. We're going to go with the AFC West next week. It's a reminder that you are now listening to Know the Score.